And as John mentioned, we are starting our best ever series, and we'll be beginning in the book of Proverbs, just looking at one verse uh, very intently today. That's Proverbs 17, verse 17. Proverbs is after the book of Psalms, which is in the middle of the Bible. And if we're using one of these Bibles that we provided for you, you'll find that verse on page 540. So it is good to see everyone. I know we have uh, a lot of people who have returned from maybe a, a busy summer away. So if you've been gone, we're glad you're back. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, maybe you came with a friend. Uh, we're really glad to see you and thankful that uh, you've chosen to join us this morning. So my name is Tanner. I serve as one of the pastors here of Redemption Hill. Um, we live, I think you would agree, in an age where communication is more accessible and more rapid than any other age in human history. So I suppose you would agree that we've come a long way from the time of carrier pigeons. Anyone agree with that? Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. So speaking of communication, you need to go home and Google that, okay? Just go home, write a note on your worship guide, carrier pigeons, Google that. Don't do it right now on your phone, but do it later. Um, so, so we live in this, this age where I would assume many of you would consider yourselves to be, you know, experts in social media, all right? Whether we're talking, you know, Twitter, Instagram, uh, what is it, Snapchat? I haven't gotten into that yet. Um, we got Pinterest. Okay, that's not my thing either, but if that's your thing, you know, more power to you. And, uh, and then also, of course, at the top of the list is often Facebook, right? How many, let's just be honest, okay, even if it's not your favorite thing in the world, uh, how many Facebook users do we have out there? Raise your hand really high. Look around. Okay. So, so let me just tell you, you're in good company these days, all right? Uh, Facebook uh, released a stat recently that said there are over, check this, 1.3 billion monthly active users of Facebook. Crazy. It's, it's said that there are five new profiles created every second. Every second. Now, I don't know if that includes like, you know, companies and businesses or organizations, churches that have Facebook pages like ours, but regardless, whatever that number may be, uh, truly, that is a huge number of people. It, it is said that uh, this 1.3 billion monthly active users generate 4.5 billion likes daily. You know what I'm talking about? Like it, boom, okay? I know y'all be on my page looking at my, boom, like that, nice picture parker there, uh-huh. Okay, so, so you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and Facebook is built on the concept of what? Of what? Fr friendship, right? So, so you look at people in your social networks and then you friend them on Facebook. Now, let's just all be honest and talk about the irony of Facebook. We all have friends. I have a lot of friends on Facebook that, to be quite honest, if, if we're talking about true friendship, I'm probably not a very good friend to them because I hardly ever see them, hardly ever talk to them. I might see their, you know, feed coming down on the wall or whatever it is. Um, but but the, the reality is many of our quote-unquote friends on Facebook are really nothing more than acquaintances or simply some kind of companion that we've met along the way. What is more, there are some people who I am friends with on Facebook, maybe you can identify with this, that I've never even met in my life. 
other than on Facebook, right? And if you want to take it a step further, if we're being honest, okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but some of you would even say, you know what, I have friends on Facebook who today I would probably, they, they may consider me more of an enemy than a friend. How ironic is all of this? So as we think about one of these kind of uh, just cultural uh, realities and something that, you know, the vast majority of us even participate in on a weekly basis, it would probably be helpful for us to consider what is the nature of true friendship? What is characteristic of friendship? What defines, what makes, what drives friendship? Well, friendship is something that we all long for, And yet, if we're being honest, friendship is something that we all fail in quite frequently. Most of us would say, you know what, I'm not often the friend that I would desire to be or like to be. Or if if, if you're maybe a Christian today, you would say that I know that God desires for me to be as well to my friends. We're all wise enough to know that friendship cannot simply be gained through the click of a button on a screen, right? So what is true friendship? What is friendship as the Bible would define friendship this morning? Uh, We are going to to look at Proverbs 17, 17, and we're going to consider what could be uh, characteristics of the best friendship ever this morning, okay? Proverbs 17, 17, I hope that you will walk away with it in your heart and working out of your life uh, today. It simply says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let's read the first part of that verse one more time. A friend loves at all times. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that as we open your word, as we meditate on your word, as we consider our lives in light of your word, Lord, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would expose our hearts in ways that we see that we long for this, that we often are unfulfilled in friendships, but that you are calling us to, to something greater because you are a great God. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. So God, I pray that something is communicated today of your greatness and that we would walk in light of your greatness, even in the details of our daily friendships. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, my my encouragement for us this morning, okay, is, is simply this. Strive to be a great friend by recognizing our love flows from God. Okay? Strive to be a great friend by recognizing our love flows from God. And I want you to notice, even in this encouragement, that what is implied here is that we're going to focus more on being a friend, giving friendship, than receiving friendship. Now, if we're probably, you know, kind of being honest once again, then we would say we are bent toward looking around us and saying, man, how am I receiving friendship? And people, are they a friend to me? Are they not a very good friend to me? But I don't want you to focus on that as much as I want you to focus on, okay, what kind of friend, friend am I? Am I striving to be a friend to those around me today? And I have three encouragements for us that flow from this one verse in the book of Proverbs. Number one, realize we all need and long for friendship. 
We all need and long for friendship. Look at these first two words, a friend. There is just the, the, the implicit presence of friendship, not only, you know, seven centuries before Jesus was, was born when these words were written, but we can go back to the very beginning and see that God made us for friendship. We are wired, we are designed to long for friendship. In the very beginning, when God created the world and everything in it, we see that the Genesis account says God made light and he said it was good. He made land, said it was good. He made the animals, the sea creatures, and he said that they were good. He made man and woman and said that they were good. Now, what is the first time, Bible trivia, what is the first time in the Bible where we see that something is not good? Anybody know? It's the next chapter, right? When God is in, in the garden, okay, this is Genesis 1, gives an account of creation, and then Genesis 2 gives another account of the same creation, and we see that God sees Adam in the garden after he made Adam, and he says, it is not good that man should be alone. And so he makes Eve to be a suitable helper, companion for Adam in the very beginning. You say, well, well, is that kind of arbitrary on God's part? You know, like he sees Adam hanging out and God's thinking, you know, let me help a brother out here. Let me give him some companionship. I mean, because, because after all, God was with Adam in the beginning, so he wasn't totally alone. What does he mean? Well, well think about this. The reason that God made Eve to be with Adam is because God makes man, okay, humanity in his image, and he wants us to be image bearers of him, reflectors of who he is. And God is a relational God from the very beginning. For all eternity, before God created anything in the world, God was always a relational God. So he created man and woman and all people to be relational beings, to dwell in relationship, to experience friendship in our lives. And so we're going to go into some kind of deep theological territory this morning, because if we do not understand who God is, then we won't understand who we are, and we won't understand what friendship should truly be all about, okay? So God is, listen to this, the triune God. God is Trinity. God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. He has always existed in relationship. This is what the statement of faith of our church says when it says this, Article 3, the Trinity. The scriptures reveal that the one God eternally exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person has distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being, okay? So we have the, the one God, the one true God, and, and, but he exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit share the same essence, the same nature, the same being, and, and so it's because God is triune that we can look to this God and see that he is a relational God. And we, as those made in his image, are relational people. We have capacity for relationship. We long for relationship. 
This is actually what sets apart Christianity in, I think, a very attractive, admirable, desirable way from, for example, Islam, who is is also a monotheistic religion, but there is no trinity in Islam. God did not eternally exist in relationship when it comes to the religion of Islam. And you say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll make an argument for this. I, I, let me, let me ma- let Saint, uh, Richard of St. Victor make an argument. This was a, a 12th century theologian, just read a book on the Trinity, learned about this guy, never heard of him before uh, last week, actually. Pretty cool. All right, so, so this is what, this is what uh, Richard says about the nature of God. And, and this is pretty appealing. Um, if God were just one person, he could not be intrinsically loving Since for all eternity, okay, that is before creation, he would have had nobody to love. All right, do do you see that? If God exists without his threeness, then he can distribute, who is he going to distribute his love to? His love is only going to be directed, turned in on himself. And yet, that's not the case with our God. Our God has existed. Father, Son, Spirit. The Father uh, eternally in relationship with the Son. The Son eternally in relationship with the Father and the Spirit. We could say the same for all three persons of the Trinity. Now, some of you kind of, you know, logical thinkers out there would say, well, okay, Tanner, then why aren't we, why don't we just have Father and Son? Which, by the way, if you throw away the Trinity, we don't have an eternal existing Father. That's not the essence of who God is. If God isn't the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, which has huge implications for everything in the Christian life, how we pray, everything. But we'll maybe get into that in another sermon. But Richard goes on. He says this. Why two, not three? Why three, not two? If there were two persons, God would be loving, but in an excluding, ungenerous way. But when the love between two persons is happy, healthy, and secure... They rejoice to share it, just so it is with God. So in the very beginning, we have the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and he has eternally existed in this kind of relationship. And when he makes man in his image, he makes us with this same capacity. So that is why people long for relationship. That's when maybe you're a bit isolated because of your life or situation, or you've just moved to a new place, as I know some of you probably have for school, to Boston, and you don't yet have good friends to walk through life together. We feel lonely. We feel alone. We feel isolated. And, and guess what? Like, you're okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with you. In fact, it, it's pointing you to say, you know what? Man, I'm made in the image of God, and I want friendship in my life. And so as we think about friendship, look, I know that friendship can be kind of hard to come by at times. It, it, it can be difficult when we live in a place like Boston where people are kind of constantly coming and going and, and we're having to build new friendships, new relationships. But I hope that even in light of the nature of God, who he is, that we will be motivated to pursue friendships because we were made for friendships. We need it. And this is why we long for it. Does everyone see that? Everyone with me? Very good. So we need friendship. We long for friendship. That's step number one. Number two, let love be the driving force 
of every friendship. What does Proverbs 17, 17 say? A friend loves. A friend loves. Now, let's go back to the eternally existent God. Pre-created, pre-creation, pre-you uh, and me. Let's think about this eternal God, okay? God not only existed in relationship for all of eternity, okay? But he existed in an eternally loving relationship. Love has always flowed from the very essence and nature of his being. He cannot but love because it is who he is. This is what Jesus says in his high priestly prayer in John 17. In verse 24, he says, uh, praying for all disciples, okay, not just his his 12 and those around, but, but for all of his disciples, he says, Father, I desire that they also, okay, this is for you, by the way. This is great. This is for us. I desire that they also may see my glory that you have given me because, look at this, you loved me before the foundation of the world. You got that? God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit has always existed in this loving relationship. Now let's drill down again theologically. Michael Reeves, in his excellent book, Delighting in the Trinity, he makes an argument that love is the foundation for the very creation of the world. So if someone were to ask you, okay, and this is a good question, by the way, hey, why did God, if there is a God and and he exists and he is the creator, okay, which that that adds up to me and adds up to most people, then um, why would he create the world in the first place? So if if I put you on the spot this morning, how would you answer that question? Some of you might say, you know what? That's a big question. There's probably a big answer behind it. I'm not sure what it is. Let's kind of study that out. Let's think on that together, all right? And if that's you, man, that's, that's a good response because we don't always have all the answers for, for all the questions of life under the sun, so we say, okay, let's go explore that question. Now, some of you would, would answer in this way. God made all things for his glory. That's why God created the world. And if you would answer in that way, you would be absolutely correct because there's nothing that God does that he doesn't do for his own glory. That is to say, to reveal who he is, to highlight his character and how great he is. Everything that God does is to, to, to manifest, to show, to display his very character. But is, but is that it? Like, is, is, that, is that all we mean by God made all things for his glory? And I want to say there is, there is something more. There is a deeper understanding for us to walk away with this morning. And Michael Reeves makes this point. He says this. The very nature of the triune God is to be effusive, ebullient, and bountiful. The Father rejoices to have another beside him. And he finds his very self, 
Don't miss this. He finds his very self in pouring out his love. Creation is about the spreading, the diffusion, the outward explosion of that love. Sermon notes will be posted online. You can find these this week, okay? Now, now, now let's just pause. I know that's deep, okay? That's what I mean by you can find it online. It's a lot to write down right now, and there's a lot to think about here. Now, you would say, Tanner, um, you went to seminary, right? Yeah, you studied this for a long time. Didn't they teach you not to use words that people would have to go into a dictionary, you know, and, and look up four or five of them so that, you know, it's like, you, you got that, right? Simple words, easy to understand, absolutely, right? But words carry power, right? Words carry weight. They have, they have force. So we should seek to understand these words, and I'm going to help us out here, okay? If, if God, if the very nature of the triune God is to be effusive, ebullient, and bountiful, what in the world does that mean? This is what it means. For God to be effusive, it means that in his character, right? That's what he's saying, the, the nature, who he is, he cannot help but release his, 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 his nature and his love. He, he lacks restraint in holding that back. Isn't this good news? He is ebullient. He is overflowing with fervor, enthusiasm, excitement, okay? This, this nature of who God is, it cannot be contained. I mean, do you, do you ever, like, go to the, the fountain drink machine? I mean, I love these. They're, like, five guys, and all these have, you know, I don't know what they're called, but you can, like, tap the button, and it's not just lemonade. You know, it's, like, strawberry, raspberry, you know, just pick your pick. So, so do you ever, you ever go, and like, because you're living in community, you know, you're hanging out with one of your, one of your brothers, one of your sisters, you know, and just doing your thing, and you're, like, talking, you know, and you're just, just getting your drink, and then all of a sudden you start filling it on your hand, and it's just, like, overflowing, you know, like, did, you ever done that? She has. That's right. Uh, so... <laughs> This, this, is, this is the picture. It's, it's overflowing. What is, what is God overflowing with? He's overflowing with excitement, with enthusiasm to release in a bountiful way the abundance of his love. So Reeve says creation is about the spreading, the diffusion, the explosion a sudden and spectacular bursting forth of the character of who he is. So why did God create the world? God created the world because God is love. God created the world because it is, I love this, okay, it is the natural consequence of his essence. Still with me? This is who God is. And so he naturally pours forth his character. And you say, well, Tanner, this is all very theological. It sounds somewhat generic. Okay, let me just ask you, why did God create you? If this is true, why did God create you? He created you because he loves and he loves you. This is, this is intensely personal. You are a product of love. The reason that you're here today is because God loves you. 
And God has the capacity to love you like no one, nothing that you will ever see or meet or experience has the capacity to love you. How humbling is this? How amazing is this? How freeing is this? How how much security does this bring? We all battle with insecurities, right? I mean, even... Even those who seem like they have it all together. I mean, people have measures of insecurity. I mean, this brings security. This empowers us. You say, what do you mean by that? This is it. His love motivates our love. You see, God did not create us simply to be in relationship with one another. As if, just picture this, Anthony always says right here, so he's a perfect example. You know, God didn't make me and Anthony to kind of sit down in chairs and just stare at one another. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what is that? Is, is, that, is that relationship? Is that friendship? No, God made us to exist in loving relationship. He made us to love one another. He he made us to uh, reflect who he is. So it's the love of God that motivates our love, not only back to him, but also to one another. So the very source of our love in all things must be be God himself. Memorize these few words in John, uh, 1 John 4, 19. It says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. This is the essence of what it means to love. And I hope you see the connection here because the, the implications are absolutely massive, all right? If, if God eternally existed in loving relationship and, and he is the fountain from which all of our love flows, then what does that mean? That means that we should come to this fountain and drink deeply from who he is and his love. So I'm just going to get really kind of direct and personal here, okay? If you in your life are not um, experiencing love and, and are not like in a good relationship and friendship with people, okay? Look, we live in a fallen world, and it doesn't all lie at your feet, but I'm just going to say this. There is probably a huge portion of the responsibility that you are not living a loving life, and you want to say, well, why is that, Tanner? It's probably because instead of drinking deeply from the fountain, you're getting a couple sips every now them from God. See that? If, if, if God is the fountain of love and we only love truly and deeply and purely and rightly as we receive from his love so that it might flow through us, then we have to drink deeply from him so that we can then distribute his love. We love because he first loved us. So here's the encouragement. Get in with God and you will have much less trouble getting in with one another. You got that? 
Get in with God, and you will have much less trouble getting in with one another. So, so what I want to do is a little meditation on love. And I want to use uh, 1 Corinthians 13, a famous chapter in the Bible that speaks of love, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongue, tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So if, if a friend loves... And the very essence of friendship, the very foundation of friendship is love. Then we should look at our lives and we should say, how am I loving those around me in light of the love that God has for me? And so what I want you to do is I want you to take these words from 1 Corinthians 13, and I just want you to kind of lay them over your life and lay them over every one of your friendships. And I want you to assess your life, your actions toward your friends in light of these words, okay? Here we go. Number one, love is patient. I mean, is is anyone a work in progress around here? Yeah, like don't have it all together, another way to put it. Not arrived yet, we see what you're saying, okay. Like, okay, And, and so are your friends, So don't have higher expectations for your friends than you would expect them to have of you. Love exercises patience with friends. Uh, Number two, love is also kind. So, So a true friend is going to naturally look for opportunities to do good for their friend. And a lot of times this is going to come in the form of encouraging words. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says this, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Okay, so so in your friendships, do you deliver words that build them up, that, that are full of kindness and counsel and encouragement? And let me, let me just say this, if you are not doing that on, on a somewhat regular basis, then, then you should call into question what kind of friend you are to that particular friend, right? Not only that, love does not envy. So in our friendships, what can really wound a friendship is when we begin with our selfish ambition, as we looked at in James chapter 4, we start wanting either the material or immaterial qualities or possessions that our friend possesses. And at the root of this is a, is, is a, is a selfishness, a self-seeking attitude, which is why Paul continues and he says, love also does not boast. It is not arrogant or proud. It does not insist on its own 
way. So, so what is characteristic of friendship is humility. Loving friendship is going to say, you before me. Your desires before my desires. Your interests before my interests. I mean, just like try that for a week and see if people don't love you. I'm serious. Just like put it to the test in your workplace. You know what I'm saying? You roll up into work. Man, I got, I got things to do. Don't they know, man, the boss is on my back. I've got like, don't, don't take from my time. Isn't that our attitude a lot of times? What about showing up 30 minutes early? early, you know, I'm not saying every day, we all have real life, you know, other things going on, but, but, but how about building in some margins where you can give more of yourself away, where you can more naturally put others before yourself, their interests before your interests. Love is not irritable. It's not resentful. All of these characteristics thus far scream that love is not selfish. Love does not look to receive. Love looks to generously give to others. And where do we see this? Where do we see this kind of loving friendship? Okay, Uh, enter Jesus, John 15, verse 15. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples just hours before he was crucified. He says this, no longer do I call you servants. Why, Jesus? For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So even though Jesus was God, he did not treat them as servants to simply do what he said, but he treated them as friends. And we see what friendship means to Jesus when he says, I have taken what I know, what God has, the Father has given to me, and I have completely made it known to you. So what's going on here? There is self-disclosure. There is intimacy. There is a bringing in to say, you know what? Whatever is of me, I am going to give it to you and bring you into this relationship. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't doesn't that communicate something of the the essence of what friendship should be and look like? We are calling others into this kind of, this this intimacy and and knowledge so that we would say, man, because we're, we're, we're like this, if you win, I win. If you struggle, I struggle. When you rejoice, I'll rejoice. When you mourn, I will mourn. This is the kind of friendship that Jesus exemplified that he calls us then to walk in. Love also does not rejoice at wrongdoing. So a friendship, okay, and this is where it gets hard a little bit. This is where it gets hard even in the church, okay, because, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Sometimes we like to live on kind of the the superficial level of life. I mean, we act like we're deep. We act like we're really in this thing. We act like we really care about one another, you know, and and where we are. But sometimes the extent of our conversation, like, yo, what's up? What'd you do this week? Which is a good question. By all means, it's good to know what, what, what Jody was up to, Sky, AP, you know, like, man, what'd you do? But like, what, what about taking that down a notch? Like, man, how are you, like, like, really doing? How's your soul? How are you before God? These kind of below-the-surface questions that we want to become a part of the normal culture of our church. To really know, you know what I'm saying? Where it's okay to, to come in and say, you know what, man, people are on my nerves. 
I haven't opened my Bible in weeks. I don't even really want to be here today. Because sometimes that's how we feel. Sometimes that's where we are, spiritually, good, bad, indifferent, man, uh, because of where we are in our own sinfulness, which we all have sin, including yours truly. Yeah, Thomas, I do. Thomas was in my community group. Thomas was the one that exposed all my sin. Like, why haven't you done this for your wife? And you haven't taken out the trash. And so, yeah. I'm going to miss you, Thomas. Thomas is going to another group. This, don't make me cry. All right. Um, so, 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 so Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Do you see that? Sometimes friends have to say truthful things that may hurt. And you know why we don't say it? I've been thinking about this week. You know why sometimes I'm reticent, hesitant to say something that might be uh, difficult for a friend to receive? Because I know when they hurt, man, I'm gonna hurt with them because I love them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna know, man, that this is, this is hard for them to hear, but, but faithful are the, are the wounds because uh, there are wounds that Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in other verse says, uh, cleanse away evil, okay? So, do we care about one another's progress in the faith, progress so that we're glorifying God, that we would even not just kind of be, you know, kind and, and loving in the sense of, yeah, what's up? Let's go ahead and kind of do life together. But now, like, loving in the sense of, I care about you so deeply that I am going to point out things that may be inconsistent in your life. And oh, by the way, I expect you to do the same thing for me. This is what Proverbs uh, 27 verse 17 then says, when it means when it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So, so let me just say this. What a shame it would be if in all of your friendships or the majority of your friendships, there's no sharpening going on. There's no, there's no progress. There's no, uh, so, so rubbing off on one another. You have strengths. I have strengths you're really strong right now, I'm a little weaker, that we can rub shoulders enough and communicate and love one enough where we're actually becoming more like Jesus as we see Jesus in one another, as we talk the gospel together. This is what we're after at Redemption Hill. This is one of the main reasons. In fact, it's the primary reason why we have community groups because we're after transformation in community. So love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So, so as you assess your life, and in light of these words, does love define your friendships? Would people look at your life and say, you know what? His or her life is characterized by Love. A friend loves, and a friend loves at all times. Our last and final point, number three, be a great friend by displaying undying, faithful love. The kind of love that reflects the love of God is a love that goes on and on and on. It doesn't stop. It doesn't end. It doesn't check out when things get rough. A lot of uh, what we might call worldly friendships, and that would be friendships that are not characterized by God's love, are going to be very conditional in nature. You make me upset, I'm done. 
you, you say something in the wrong way, you mistreat me, I'm going to check out and I'm going to go find another friend until they do that same thing and then I'll go find another friend and move on. But, but, but love should be faithful. It should go the distance. And so as we seek to love one another, let me, let me encourage us as a church to not simply live in love, but to communicate love to one another. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay to actually say, not just to your family, I hope you do this with your family, but also to your friends, you know what, I love you. Let them know. I mean, th- those words have power. They build one another up, okay? And, and I'm talking to men too, all right? I mean, I, I know some of us, and this is maybe a generational thing, we grew up in, in homes with parents, maybe especially fathers, that didn't verbalize their love. And I'm not hating on anyone's dad, okay? They may have loved you with the most fierce and consistent love, even if they didn't verbalize it. But, but let's just admit that it is good to hear these things from one another. I mean, guys, even if you want to say, yo, much love, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Got love for you, player. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can start there. You can ease into it. You know what I'm saying? But, but let's, let's communicate our love to one another. Because in, in all of this, you say, well, well Tanner, when, when we think about kind of this featherweight kind of love, this love that doesn't last, this, there's no substance there, it is completely opposed to the love that we see in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ hung on a Roman cross, his blood drenching the wood to scream of a love that goes the distance. His love was strong. His love brings people in and is undying for us. And so let me give you two final encouragements as we wrap this up, okay? Um, Number one, the gospel frees us to love. I want you to think about the, the gospel in terms of a loving relationship. If this is who God is in the beginning and this is why he created us, then we were made to exist in loving relationship with God. Now, we all have been separated from that loving relationship because of our choice to turn away from God. And the Bible calls this sin, okay? But what is the essence of sin? It is a rejection of the love of God. God loves us. He knows what's best for us. He cares about us. He wants to bring us in. And we say, you know what, God, no, thank you. I'll go my own way. And we reject his love. But God demonstrated, Romans 5, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners rejecting his love, Christ died for us. That he might bring us back to God, reconcile us back to God, so that love between God and man might be restored through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you today, have you received this love? Have you been restored to God through the love of Jesus Christ? The gospel reconciles us back to God, and then it frees us to love one another after we have received of God's love. But then, number two, think about this. If the the glory of God is the radiance of his nature, if it is the going forth, telling of who he is, then when we love, what are we doing? 
We are glorifying God because God is love. So, so my final encouragement for us today is this. Radiate the radiance of God and let all you do be done in love. Radiate the radiance of God. Glorify God with your life and let all you do be done in love. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for who you are. It's because of who you are that we have life, that we exist not only to relate to you, but also to relate to one another and to relate in a loving relationship. So God, I pray that whatever is happening in our hearts collectively and individually, that we could say, God, would you work your love into my heart? If there's friction in friendships, relationships in our church, Lord, we pray that through love, you would work those out, that you would mend uh, uh, brokenness, anything that might uh, be, be uh, hindering our friendships today. And Lord, that you would move us, that you would motivate us to love in the ways that you love. So that in all things, people might know you, might glorify you, with their lives. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to move into a time of response today. And before we sing, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. So if our ushers could come forward to serve the, the bread and the cup. And you see, the Lord's Supper is about participation. It's about uh, remembering what Christ has done. So Jesus, before he was crucified, he ate a meal with his disciples and he said, this is my body, speaking of the bread, that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when you come forward, these friends are going to remind you by saying, remember the body of Christ broken for you. They're gonna take the cup and they're gonna say, remember the blood of Christ shed for you. And so if you are in with Christ, if you are in with God through the finished work of Christ on the cross, I want to invite you to come forward and partake of this. If you are not yet in Christ today, if you are still wrestling with who Jesus is and and what it means to have a relationship with God through him, then, then I want to encourage you to continue to think about these things. Think about what you've heard that God is love, that he invites you to enter into his love. So you can, you can, rather than partaking, you can just stay seated and pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. And I'm confident that he will. So I'm gonna pray and then you can come forward and then we're gonna continue worshiping God in song this morning. Father, thank you so much for the cross of Christ, for his shed blood, his, his body that was broken for us on the cross. Lord, we rejoice that he has victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave, that he rose again, and that he has called us to enter into his very life as friends. So, Lord, we pray that that as we partake, that it would be a time of encouragement, a time of gratitude, a time to tell the story of the gospel, not only to ourselves, but to, to, to all people who observe this today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen.